When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava CBD coffee is infused with both CBD and CBG and can actually be delivered to your doorstep every two, four, six, or eight weeks. You get 20% off every single time with that option. And if you're a first time buyer of Strava Craft Coffee, you're going to get 25% off that first purchase when you use code DNVR25 at StravaCraftCoffee.com. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons, and on today's DNVR Rockies podcast, we're going to be covering some of the lockout and give you those general updates. We've got some interesting wrinkles with rules that could be coming down the pike for baseball. How does that change things? What's the impact on the Colorado Rockies? But of course, we have to start with actual real baseball. Yes, the Rockies are playing right now, not the big league team. But the minor leaguers down in Scottsdale at Salt River Fields, minor league spring training camp did get started there on Sunday. You may have seen some early photographs and video taken down there of pitchers and catchers doing their things, guys taking live BP. It was very exciting. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at DNVR underscore Rockies for all of that and more. And one of those players who are in camp, and we're going to get to all of the prospects over the course of the next month. We're going to do an awesome roundtable that you can watch on the DNVR Sports channel that we have on YouTube so we can really get the lowdown on the top 30 prospects for the Rockies. We'll have our list, of course, again, like we did last year. If you're a member to the DNVR.com, you already saw that list from last year. Very much looking forward to updating it and seeing who moved, who went up, who went down, One player that went off the list entirely is back, Riley Pint. If you recall, the fourth overall pick in 2016 actually retired in June. Command, control issues, you name it, just didn't have it. And I imagine his love for the game probably was waning at that point. Nevertheless, stepped away, took some time for himself and realized, I love baseball. I want to come back to it. And so it's great to know that he's going to be there and give this thing another shot. And believe you me, there's still plenty of time for that shot to be a very good one. Now, if you recall, Pint was originally drafted out of high school, Overland, Kansas at St. Thomas Aquinas High School. He was at the time, probably the second best prospect, at least Baseball America had him as number two Overall, ended up falling to number four, but quickly made BA's top 100 list, was number 46 at the start of the 2017 season. Stock dropped due to those control problems, as I mentioned, but was still ranked 99 ahead of the 2018 season. You started to see that dropping occur even within the Rockies system, was second best in 2017, then was third in 2018. 8th in 2019 until lastly, he was 30th on the list in 2020, completely dropped off this past year. Now, last year, he did go to high A Spokane through 10 and two-thirds innings, had a fantastic strikeout rate, but also had almost an equally as high walk rate. So for striking out one out of every three batters he faced, he also walked one out of every five hitters that came to the plate. So. Smaller sample size, but nevertheless, obviously that command wasn't there. But we hope that he can obviously bounce back. Thomas Harding 
wrote up something about that. And he had a quote there from player development director Chris Forbes saying, quote, everybody is on his own time. I always love seeing that kid, referring to Riley Pine. He's a fantastic kid. I'm glad to see him back. I am too, Chris. I'm very excited. In fact, if you go back, maybe this is something that will make us all feel a little bit better. Go back to that 2016 draft class. Now, the 2015 one is the one that Brendan Rodgers is a part of, and we finally saw him break out in 2021 and poised to do some seriously big things for a guy who seems like he's been around for a while, but maybe only recently got his start. He still has four more years of club control. Dude is going to be one of the faces of this franchise going forward. We know that. But we also know that before he made it to the majors, plenty of conversation about Dansby Swanson, the first overall pick by the Diamondbacks that year in 2015. Yes. Did you forget the Diamondbacks had him? Yeah, traded him over to Atlanta for Shelby Miller. Did not work out very well. That's why Tony Larusa and Dave Stewart were removed from their positions in the Diamondbacks front office. But you had Swansby at one, you had Swanson at one, and then you had Alex Bregman at number two. Now, those are some big shoes to fill, and Rodgers does not need to fill them. He's going to do his own thing, carve his own path. Really excited to see what he's going to do in 2022. But by the same token, if we look at the 2016 draft class, it's not the same story in any way, shape, or form. It's strange to think that here we are now a little over five years, and we haven't really seen anyone break out from that first round, from that first round, that being a a keynote with a little asterisk. We'll come back to that. Will Smith, catcher for the Dodgers, he was actually taken 32nd overall. He's been the most productive from that first round group in 2016, according to War. Second on the list, might surprise you, Cal Quantrill. If you know what team he's on, big props to you. You are a very quality baseball fan. If you don't, that's okay. He's been around the block a little bit. You probably saw him briefly in 2020 with San Diego as they were shuttling him back and forth from the rotation, from the bullpen. He was a part of that massive deal with Cleveland, and so he really broke out in a big way in 2021 with the Guardians. You also have from that first-round group Dylan Carlson and Dakota Hudson from St. Louis. It's going to be an ongoing trend. St. Louis does a great job not only drafting, but the developing. It's like taking a reservation. Anyone can take a reservation, but can you hold on to it? Cardinals can draft and they can develop. And don't forget, Gavin Lux also comes out of that first round. But if this makes you feel any better, any consolation prize, and again, Pint's going to give it a go. So we'll see what happens. Maybe he's able to have somewhat of a resurgence here in his career. He's only 24 years old, so still has plenty of time to do the damn thing. But if you go back and look at the players selected ahead of him, you're going to feel a lot better. Don't look at the third overall pick in in Ian Anderson. You saw him, obviously, in this last postseason doing some seriously big things with Atlanta. But first and second overall pick, second, Nick Senzel. I like him. He's a good player. I think the Reds maybe have kicked him around a little bit all over the diamond and even in the outfield. You know, was a third baseman at the University of Tennessee. Seemed like he was the lock for the first overall pick. The Phillies bucked that trend there, but was a third baseman at the University of Tennessee. They move him over shortstop. Then he's playing center field and second base. I think he's had some of the same issues that Rogers and McMahon have had where they haven't really been able to settle in. I think Senzel's still going to be a really good pro, but the first overall pick from the Phillies, Mickey Moniak. Yeah. Mickey Moniak, not, not good for the Phillies right there. We'll see what happens, but it's still so early. It's still so early. For so many of these guys, so you you just don't know. But when you go into the second round, that's really when you start to raise your eyebrow and go, what? Man, baseball is is strange. In that second round, you have three of the most productive players from that year. Brian Reynolds, who was a Giants draftee. We know him now as a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Got to see him in July at the All-Star Game, if you were there at Coors Field, representing the Pirates. He came over in that. Andrew McCutcheon deal, great trade for the Pirates. They didn't do so well on the Chris Archer deal. If they had, they they might be much more of a contender there. Just from one trade that they didn't make, they very much would be a contender right now in the NL Central. Bo Bichette was also taken in that second round. Also saw him at the All-Star game. 
and Pete Alonso, who, while he's yet to be an all-star, has won the last two home run derbies, has made more money in the home run derby, $2 million, than he's made as an active player, 1.57. Think about that one. That is partially what this lockout, or rather this lack of agreement in the CBA and these negotiations are about paying these younger players because they are some of the most exciting guys in the game and they're just not making anything. And for, for all the Bobichettes and Brian Reynolds, Pete Alonso and Will Smiths, there are players who are scrapping just to get by and maybe, just maybe, they're lucky to stick around enough for two seasons in the majors. And yes, maybe that accumulates to over a million dollars in career earnings. But remember, they are not getting paid very well. They're not getting compensated in the minor leagues. And this is their money that's supposed to put food on their family's table for years and years and years to come when we know owners are making money hand over fist. And they're not opening the books because when they do, like Liberty Media, we saw that how much money Atlanta ended up making this past year. You realize these young players are not being fairly compensated. In the third round, I digress from the 2016 draft. Zach Gallen was actually a Marlins pick. An interesting, interesting trade two years ago. You may or may not recall. You don't see these very often. It's called a challenge trade. It's it's two teams saying, Hey, I'm gonna trade my dude for your dude. And I think we're going to turn your dude into a better player on my team. And you're going to try to do the same with mine. So you had Zach Allen for jazz Chisholm. Yes. Jazz Chisholm. You got to know him a little bit last year with the Marlins flashy kid there, shortstop, second base, exciting. And so those two guys are just traded for each other straight up. But Gallon was a third round pick. He's actually been more productive than Will Smith, the best player from that first round. But in the fourth round, Friends, you've got two Cy Young Award winners already, already, Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns in the MLB draft, fourth round. I mean, we're basically talking the Nikola Jokic of the MLB draft, Cy Young Award winners in the fourth round. Got to give a shout out, Kevin Biggio, Tommy Edmond, also proving themselves incredibly valuable, big leaguers being taken in the fifth and sixth rounds, respectively. But again, it's still incredibly early for making any decisions about these players and Riley pints back. And so it's exciting. We're going to keep our eye on that situation again. Hopefully he can get back to Spokane, do a little bit better, maybe make up for some lost time with some of the teammates and, and players that he's been with. And maybe we could see him in Hartford and double a by the end of this year. But really that is small potatoes when it comes to just him being back, feeling comfortable and doing what he loves. Anything they can get out of Riley Pine now is is really gravy at this point. And though we don't have gravy necessarily, maybe we do. I I, I haven't scoured the menu. I, I stick to the burgers. I stick to the nachos. I'm a simple man when I'm down at the DNVR bar on the corner of Colfax in New York. So maybe there is something with gravy there. But look, if you are not a member, you're missing out. You're missing out on, on price breaks for Broncos tailgates and now Nuggets party bus. You know, your annual membership gets you a free shirt from the dnvrlocker.com. You get a member-sized beer down at the corner of Colfax in York at the DNVR bar. You get extra raffle tickets at all of our watch parties. It's popping off and, you know, you get access to the members-only Discord where you can chat with everyone in our community. And you know what? If you're strapped for cash a little bit, guess what? It's only 50 cents for your first month at the dnvr.com. And I'll let you in on another little thing. You can finally watch Nuggets and Avs right now. Yes, you can with Evoca TV, E-V-O-C-A dot TV. Yes, Evoca TV. You can watch Nuggets and Avs. You can get other Colorado teams you love, like Rapids are heating up. Big 3 nothing victory over the weekend. The Mammoth, you get coverage of CSU Rams, Denver Pioneers. And now they've got the Colorado Rockies all in one place. Service is now available up and down the Rocky Mountain region, Denver, Springs, Phoenix, as well as Boise, Twin Falls, Idaho. And look, bottom line, Evoca TV has altitude sports. All you got to do is go to evoca.tv slash DNVR to get this deal. 
It's zero hidden fees or contracts. It's only $25 per month plus receiver, and your price gets locked in for two years. Never worry again with Ivaca TV and enjoy the nuggets and abs once again. Ivaca.tv slash DNVR. Now I'm going to MLS this week for my DraftKings Sportsbook pick of the week. I'm going Rapids victory plus 110 over Sporting KC. Now, last year, they were somewhat average at home, the nine wins and the seven losses. But against Sporting KC, they fared really well. Now, they've drawn the last four years against Sporting KC at home at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. They probably should have won, actually, the last three of those meetings. And the previous four beyond that, they won those games. And I really like how the Rapids looked in that 3-0 shutout against Atlanta. Rubio and Lewis looked great on their goals, and I got to go there for my DraftKings Sportsbook pick of the week. Lock it in, plus 110 the money line for the Rapids over Sporting KC. Here we are with our lockout update getting close, approaching day number 100. The two sides set to meet again today on Monday. After having met already, On Sunday, for about an hour, 40 minutes, according to MLB, the proposal by players was worse than their previous proposal. And I think this is really just more negotiating tactics by owners. The core economic issues, I think, were generally the same. Players made some attempt to lower the pre-arbitration pool. I won't get too deep into the details. They do get murky, but... Bottom line is, if you are looking for these kind of details and you want some of the best coverage of the CBA negotiations, make sure you're following Evan Drellich of The Athletic and Chelsea Janes of The Washington Post, to name a few. They are exclusively covering this ongoing situation. Now, the players, their biggest difference in this current proposal over the last is players agreed to give Commissioner Rob Manfred in the league authority to make on-field changes like pitch clock, restrictions on the use of defensive shifts and the size of the bases within a 45-day window of proposal. Now, previously, under the previous CBA, the league had a full year. So theoretically, right now, the commissioner could have come out and said, hey, great, this going forward, universal DH, whatever it is. But next year, actually, we're going to move the mound back. We're going to make the bases bigger. We're going to prevent shifts. So teams, you know, you got about a year to to figure out some of those things. We're going to play under the normal rules right now in 2022, but in 2023, we're going to change a couple of things. And the commissioner has the ability to do that. Not anything that has to do with money, but just play of game. All of these issues about how the game is played or the on-field game, if you will, all those changes up to this point, and they really should stay that way, really should be more just about creating a better product. It's not anything to try to screw players or anything like that. Even when you had the issue this past year about the tacky baseballs and and the sticky substances that players were using, players ended up adapting, right? It, it was to improve the game. It's to improve contact. It was to try to take away some of the additional advantage that pitchers had been getting with these sticky substances. So... When you hear this, don't be entirely alarmed that, oh no, Rob Manfred, instead of having to wait a year to implement his evil plan, it's going to only be 45 days. There's not going to be any evil plan when it comes to the quality of play on the field. Without getting into the specifics about the pitch clock, if they are able to implement something like this, you know, some of the numbers that have come out about the leagues and the minors that used such procedures, it was able to shave about 20 minutes off the game. Those seconds really start to add up. And really, it it just kind of brings about this general malaise about the game of taking your time, catching your breath, and then waiting for that pitch. Whereas if there's a pitch clock, it's, it's going to be a lot more constant. Things are going to be moving a lot quicker, and that's just going to breed further rapid movements. And it's just going to really get the game into a much better flow and so that's that's more promising, I think, than anything. But the player said, yeah, okay, 45 days, you can have that commish. That's, that's something that we will acquiesce on just a little bit. More interestingly, and this isn't anything that the players have moved on, but you've probably heard a lot of conversation about expanded postseason. Now, the players 
have been willing to go to 12 teams. Currently, we have 10. We have five in each league, but the players are okay with 12. And really, one of their last bargaining chips is going to be going to 14 teams. Now, that's almost half the teams in baseball. And you can check out last week's podcast with Drew Goodman or, again, Head on over to YouTube to the DNVR Sports channel where you can watch that conversation where we got into some of the specifics about expanded postseason. Granted, when there are 32 teams, 14 teams won't really seem quite as bad. But right now, you might have a couple teams that are only 82, 83, 84 win clubs sneak into the postseason. Doesn't seem like they belong, but that certainly will make for some exciting September baseball. And one of the elements that is being proposed that I don't think MLB likes. The Players Association does like, and I like it, in fact. And it is something called the ghost win. Now, this is something that's used in South Korea for their playoffs. In fact, in South Korea, they have about, I think, five teams, maybe, five of their ten make the postseason. And the team that has the best record, they they just play in the World Series. They, they just play in, in the championship series. That's it. But what happens is you've got the four and five team play each other. The winner of that plays the third team in a series. The winner of that plays the second team. The winner of that plays the team with the best record. But all the while, the team that has the higher seed in each of those rounds has a ghost win. Meaning, instead of playing a true best of three series where you have to win two games, the team with the higher seed only needs to win one. Whereas the team that is the lower seed will need to win two. and the reason I like this, especially if we're talking about division winners, if it's two wildcard teams playing each other, hey, it's best two out of three, done deal. But if we're talking about a team that's maybe a number two or a number three seed or the third best division winner, and they're playing a wildcard team, whether they had 90 wins or otherwise, it seems like, you know what, there should be a benefit to the division winner for winning their division that they would only need to win one game instead of Two, and that all of those games, all, both of those games would be played at the higher seeds ballpark, so there wouldn't be any travel for that. So I like that element. But what that does, if you were to have this ghost win scenario, is it makes every game an elimination game. If the number three seed is taking on the number six seed, number one seed is going to get a bye, but if three is taking on six, the first game that they play, it's not an elimination game for the third best team, but it is one for the sixth best team. And if the the lower seed ends up winning, now they're going for a winner take all to move on to that division series. So it's a good element. It is strange. It is a bit abstract in a sense for what we're used to seeing here in North America, but it's a concept that once you see it and and once you get to experience it, I imagine you're not going to want to go back and you're going to say, no, this this is actually fair. This this works out. It gives gives us the excitement in September of of postseason baseball, whereby all right, maybe you've got two teams scrapping along. They're really like five hundred type clubs, but one of them is going to get in. So I'm still compelled to watch, even though they might not be the best teams. You're compelled to see who gets in, and then it makes that first round very compelling. Now Ross Stripling, player who was actually drafted by the Rockies, didn't sign. Former Dodger, we know him best as, currently a player representative for the Blue Jays. He did say that ownership, when they were working on those deals on Monday, when we had that deadline where everyone was staying up late to try to find out, here we are, it's February 28th, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty to save opening day. Stripling said that the owners tried to slip in some new details at the last second as that deadline approach. He said, oh yeah, these dumb players, they're not going to realize it in Stripling's words. And there's been some you know, element of truth to that uh, from what we've seen. The owners have said, well, that's not exactly true. It's just certain phrasing and things of that nature. But, but I think the owners have really played this to their advantage in every way possible. And it makes sense that they would have, again, imposed a deadline, tried to slip things through because if the players say no, well, it's going to paint them as as the bad guy, almost as an equal bad guy, when that's not really the case. The owners are not giving in at all. And sadly, sadly, because we now have no new deadlines. Again, talked about the 
two sides meeting on Sunday. We hope they meet again today on Monday. But there are no deadlines. What is going to force either of these sides to come together on a deal? Here we are nearly a week since Commissioner Manfred's announcement on Tuesday, March on Tuesday, March 1st, and we might be getting another announcement very soon that another week of games has been canceled. And I think it is really inevitable. I would be very thankful if in a month from now, on April 7th, these two sides got together and crafted a deal, and then we get baseball back by May 1st. That would be probably a best-case scenario right now. That might be shocking to you if, if you haven't heard me discuss things in that capacity or if you're looking at the positive and the progress, and I, I hate having to even put this out there into the ether, but it really seems as if late May could be when we get our baseball back, maybe even June. Crazy, right? As, as such, in the players, look, they've got to prepare for this. Daniel Allentuck, who we had on the show last week, again, you can listen to the podcast from Thursday or watch Tuesday's live episode in studio. She talked about pitchers ramping up and then having to scale back in that delicate dance to stay ready. Well, the Players Association, they've set up a fully staffed training facility in Arizona for players. They're working on it in Florida at this point. We've heard that it is in Mesa. It may be Bell Bank Park, a new facility in the city of Mesa. It doesn't have a professional stadium there, but they don't need that. They're just training. They're just working out. Players, you know, there's a big contingency in the Nashville area. They're probably just chilling right now. They're probably just staying at home before they go and report to Arizona or Florida. It's somewhat of a painful time right now to be dealing with this with MLB. But what's not painful is the fast-acting dissolvable gummies from Ripple. They're clinically proven to hit two times faster than the leading gummy because absorption happens within 10 minutes every time. With Ripple dissolvables, you can actually make anything into an edible because of the flavorless and dissolvable powders. And the science actually supports all of this. Ripple speed and absorption were studied by CSU in a randomized placebo-controlled trial with real people. And yes, the results were published in a peer-reviewed journal. So look for Lightshade, Colorado's premier dispensary, with 10, soon to be 11, convenient Denver Metro and Aurora locations to pick up some Ripple, offering something for everyone. From the casual consumer to the connoisseur, Lightshade has a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, Top shelf flower, edibles, tinctures, accessories, and more. Podcast listeners, you can get 25% off non-sale items with code DNVR. Shop online at lightshade.com for pickup or visit a Lightshade location near you. If you are at any of our Broncos tailgates this past year, you already know about Sexy Pizza. But if you don't, you weren't, you should know that Sexy Pizza has spent 13 years in the Denver community with locations on Capitol Hill, Old South Pearl, Jefferson Park, and Park Hill. Sexy Pizza is as local as it gets. We're talking hand-tossed, deck oven pizza with made-from-scratch each morning dough. And what I love most about Sexy Pizza, besides just how good the pizza tastes, is that they donate to a large range of nonprofits right here in Colorado. Sexy Pizza can actually help support your organization or event. Just go to www.sexy.pizza. And check out their about page for the donations link to see how Sexy Pizza can support your cause. And for our friends outside the Denver area, in the southern part of our state, Sexy Pizza has a new location in Trinidad, Colorado that's worth checking out too. Finally, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Rule 5 draft may be canceled. Now, last week's interview with Danielle Allentuck turned that piece of information up as she mentioned that it very well could be canceled. Now, this isn't something that really has impacted the Rockies very much in their franchise history. They've been hurt by it a few times. Everett Cabrera, probably the most notable one, not a guy who was an all-star, but was a very good player in his own right. Probably would have been better off for the Rockies, at least if they had a shortstop like that for a period of time, or at least a middle infielder. He got poached, turned out to be all right. Rockies themselves really haven't done very much 
in the Rule 5 draft outside of Tommy Conley. And more recently, Jordan Sheffield did a really good job getting some value there from him this past year as a rookie, poaching him from the Dodgers system. But the Rule 5 draft is an opportunity for not just teams to fill in some roles that they think they could improve upon, but more for these young players who have been drafted and they've been down in the minors for five years and they haven't been given the opportunity by their big league club to either get to the majors or even just to be placed on the 40 man roster. That's all it is, is being protected by the 40 man. And that's the purpose of the rule five draft. Some form of it has gone on, I think dating all the way back to like the 1920s, the most notable rule five pick of all time is Roberto Clemente. He was actually stashed away in the Dodgers farm system when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers and they had tons and tons of minor league teams. I mean, you, they had a clear advantage by basically just carrying two or three times as many minor leaguers as all the other teams. St. Louis Cardinals did that. In fact, that was Branch Rickey's deal where he said, hey, let's just have as many of these minor league affiliates as possible and goes over to Brooklyn and, and realizes, hey, you know what? Um, we got to hide some of these players away. Can't hide Roberto Clemente, even though they, they sat him on the far end of the bench anytime they would see a scout near their ballpark. And nevertheless, Pirates get a Hall of Fame outfielder in Roberto Clemente. There's been some other really good ones, of course, in the past. Josh Hamilton, Shane Victorino, Johan Santana, a guy who's, you know, definitely in the Hall of Very Good. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. There probably will be that conversation going on at one point. But you can find a lot of value in another team's farm system for a player who hasn't been protected in the Rule 5 draft. Now, because the Rule 5 is part of the CBA, MLB would actually need approval from the Players Association to do this. And ultimately, the reason they want to do this is so it's kind of twofold. You know, the, the purpose of the draft, as I said, is to allow for some opportunity for these minor leaguers. But teams normally would be protecting players in December, or rather, they would be protecting players in late November for the December draft. Now, we've had three months since then when these players should have been taken. They've developed or they've recovered and rehabbed from injuries or whatever it may be. And depending on when baseball comes back, if they don't get the CBA done, as I mentioned, in early April, even mid-April, you're going to have players in AA, AAA, even some guys in high A that could get off to a super hot start. And you go, hey, this guy is actually developing the way we thought he might. And we hadn't seen him since last September when he was in the minors. Now we're getting an opportunity to see that player. And so that team would have probably loved to have added him to the 40-man roster. And I, I don't believe that's really going to be an option. So they might just shoot that kind of dead in the water. Teams have also, in anticipation of a potential Rule 5 draft, they've actually been closing their camp off to scouts who, again, could go and watch a player and say, shoot, this guy just put 15 pounds of muscle on and he's, he's pretty darn good. I think we could find a spot for him as the 24th, 25th or 26th man on the bench. Look, the Diamondbacks going back, I mean, shoot, it might've been about seven years by now. Oscar Hernandez, who was a defense first catcher. I don't even know if he had played at high A ball yet, but drafted him, stashing him on the bench as, as a third string catcher. And then when the season was up, he was still so green that they sent him back down to the minors the next year, which you can do at that point because you've rostered the player for an entire year. He's got all his options. So you could do that, but that is certainly very rare. One of the other reasons why teams are closing their camp off to scouts is to not allow other clubs to spot and potentially poach improving young players, which they get for little to nothing. We're talking $100,000. That's it. That's all you have to pay the other team for that player. That's it. Now, five teams have actually allowed each other's scouts to evaluate their players. Just a, a small pod of teams that are in Arizona. Actually, one of them is in Florida. But you've got the Rays over there in the Grapefruit League in Florida, as well as the Reds, Brewers, A's, and Mariners. They've all said, yeah, you know what? 
we'll allow each other scouts to go take a look at our players. And really the, the key to this is for when the lockout ends, the trade market can be a little bit more active. If you haven't seen a player when you normally would in March at a minor league camp, it's going to be a lot hard to, harder to acquire him or harder to say, yeah, sure, we'll take so-and-so in exchange for this big league player. Well, if the scouts don't see that guy, it's going to be a lot harder to fall in love with him and think, you know, hey, I'm getting somewhat of a fair deal. Now, in the case of the A's, who's in that small pod of teams that are allowing scouts from four other clubs in their minor league spring training facilities, is that we know the A's are looking to deal a number of players with one or two years remaining of club control, right? Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, couple more that are out there that they very easily could deal to lower their payroll, to get younger, to really say, well, you know what? Our team isn't good enough right now and we can't invest any more in the roster to get them over that hump because it's still a very good roster, but they got to get over that hump. Well, you know what? We, it's not going to happen. So we might as well try to get over the hump in two to three years time, but they're gonna have to bring back younger players, bring back prospects. And it's going to hard to be hard to do that if you can't scout right now, keep in mind too, that minor leaguers aren't members of the players association. However, the union does have some amount of influence on decisions that can affect non-union players. In fact, that's one thing that the owners tried to slip past the players on Monday night, as it was allegedly reported, with the an international draft, which is something I want to get into here in a second. But basically saying, hey, look, these players aren't in the union, but you can sign away their rights if you want. And players obviously don't want to do that for international players, amateur international players. They have done it in the amateur draft, basically the North American draft, if you will, for of, of college and, and high school players. But one reason why they might be less inclined to do something like that right now, or rather why they would be inclined to say, yeah, you know what? We should scrap the rule five draft this year is because there's still about 200 major league free agents right now that are out there. And if they go ahead with the rule five draft, we could be looking at anywhere from 15 to 20 less roster spots because of those rule five picks. That's going to cost the players association. Now, I don't know if they're exactly going to look at it that way or not, but nevertheless, it, it does make for a compelling situation here. And as they're going back and forth, the players do have bigger fish to fry. They've got these big core economic issues to deal with, and they just might have to do something like that and scrap the Rule 5 draft altogether. Now, as I mentioned, international draft has been something that MLB has been dreaming of for a while. Very feasible dream. You would think, hey, if we've got it here for high school and college-aged players, Maybe there should be one internationally in the Latin American countries. Now, right now, early reports suggest that this proposed international draft would be 20 rounds long. So similar to what we have when we think of the MLB draft, it would also include competitive balance rounds. And it would create a hard slotting system like we have in the MLB draft assigned to every pick. So if you're the first overall player drafted right now you would get five and a quarter million dollars which is less than the mlb draft the international draft first overall would be less than the mlb draft which opens up a can of worms saying hey wait a minute these international players are not worth as much as the u.s players and some canadian players as well and of course puerto rico which is a territory of the u.s but this idea of an international draft would give teams the same general cost certainty as the MLB draft uh, without those you know, backroom dealings and corruption that has really plagued the international market. Because if you know anything about it, man, some teams have made alleged agreements with players as young as, we're talking 13, 12 years old, 
before being able to legitimately sign them at 16 years old. That's that's not a good situation by by any means. So this would kind of prevent that and take away maybe certain advantages that teams have in the international market, whether they've earned them fairly or unfairly. It would kind of create a little bit more balance there. In fact, one of the strange things in this balance is the way they would set the draft up. And it would almost be similar to what they do right now with international amateur free agents where you get a certain dollar amount and it rotates almost like every four or five years where you may have the largest pool to work with. And of course, if you go over, there are certain penalties and things of that nature. But we saw it this last year where the Rockies had were tied for the most money on the international free free agent market. And so that actually allowed them to grab a couple of really talented players and use that. And so how they would go about this draft is it wouldn't be but based on your win-loss record. That's not what would happen for the international draft. Instead, the 30 teams would be broken up into groups of like five or six. And then each of that group of five or six would be rotated through the draft order every five or six years. So let's say it's a group of six, right? So one for every division. That that makes sense. One for the AL East, Central West, and the NL East, Central and West. So the Rockies get put in a group with the Mariners from the AL West, the Tigers from the AL Central, the Brewers from the NL Central, the Mets from the NL East, and the Blue Jays from the AL East. And they would have the first six picks for next year. Well, then in 2024, those six teams would move back to the picks seven through 12. And the teams that were in the previous year, the last six picks, they move to the front of the board and they get the first six picks. And it would be the same, obviously, for all 20 rounds. And so they're just, they're sharing, right? They're just sharing these, these players. And hey, maybe that's really just what the MLB draft needs because then that really prevents tanking. And you say, yeah, but the whole point is if you're not very good, you should have first crack at the best amateur players the best college, high school, and in this case now international players. But the owners have abused that privilege. So you know what? You just you get them when you get them. You get the first pick when you get the first pick. When it's your turn, that's it. Musical chairs. That, that's how it's going to work. Now, here's a really good explanation from MLB Trade Rumors. Again, another one of those really great sites you should be checking out almost nearly on the daily. Get that app. That's a free one out there. Definitely recommend it. They say over there, quote, while international prospects aren't officially union members, while international prospects aren't officially union members, the MLBPA is likely to take umbrage at the idea of a hard slot bonus system given the strict limitations it puts on an individual player's earning potential. So again, if players sign for $1 million, then that's going to tamp down their future earnings going forward. And so they really don't want to put those kind of limitations on a player when they might be able to get one and a half million dollars. And so I understand where they're coming from, but it could be a bargaining chip. It could be a bargaining chip that really makes things move all the more better for the CBA and really creates a little more equity in the international market. I found it to be interesting when going through the details that owners would essentially be paying the exact same amount that they do right now. So for example, in the previous international signing period, teams spent just under $165 million for the top 600 bonuses they gave to international amateur free agents in Latin America. Well, with the 600 players that they'd be drafting, it'd be a little bit more than that, but 20 rounds, 30 teams, that's 600 players. With this hard slot bonuses that they would be giving out, it would equal $172.5 million. So you say, actually, it's going to almost come out to be the same. Now, granted, that's what the top 600 made. What about the next 100 or 200 or 300 international amateur free agents that they signed? Add that to the list. Now, what are we talking? Because that could 
change things overall. I think this is a good concept in general because it can get very suspicious, for lack of a better word. It gets very corrupt down there with these player agents, the Buscones, who are like the handlers and trainers for these players. And again, some really bad things happen. Go back and, and look at, at what went down in Atlanta with John Coppolella. Their general manager was banned from baseball because he just took things way too far. And players that Atlanta signed were removed from their organization and put back out there as free agents, once again, to sign with other teams. So it's it's not great, but this actually could help clean things up just a little bit. One of my favorite parts of this overall is that teams could actually trade their picks. That's exciting. That's very exciting to think that if a deal can't be worked out between the Rockies and let's say somebody like the Reds, they're trying to acquire a player at the trade deadline, well, the Rockies say, eh, we'll give you our 17th round pick in their international draft. That might be enough where you say, ah, I, I'm not sure. Should I trade this player for that one? Well, if you throw in that international draft pick, I think we've got a deal. All right. Now, again, you got to be careful about that. And I think the Rockies certainly would value their international draft picks, much like they very much value their, their draft picks here on a, national basis. We saw that with Trevor Story and really getting excited over that compensation pick. So I don't think the Rockies would put themselves in a bad spot overall, but that is an interesting wrinkle that baseball doesn't have and all the other sports do. And they may they may want to get something like that going. Now players would of course similar to the MLB draft, they'd have to sign a deal within 3 weeks after they're drafted. And you say, well, that's maybe where things can get tricky because, again, you could have a player hold out saying, I, I maybe want to wait for next year. I'm 16. You know, I, I think I'm going to grow a little bit more and, and I'll get taken a little bit higher next year as a 17-year-old or just simply, look, I am asking for this much money. I know what the slot is, but I want a little bit more than that. And if the team passes up, you know, they, they just lost their pick essentially. No word on whether or not the teams will get compensation for that like they do in the MLB draft in the first couple of rounds. But players would have a little bit of leverage to go back into the draft next year at 17 or at 18, like the Rockies had with their most recent big international signing in Diane George, shortstop out of Cuba. Uh, I think there would still be a preference to know what you're getting and for the player to know what he's getting. So you would still need boots on the ground to be able to build relationships with these players. So you're not just taking a, a guy that you don't have any relationship whatsoever because you say, Hey, great. Thanks. But I, I don't know who you are. I'd rather wait next year. And there's like, you know, 10 different teams that have talked to me and built a relationship with me. I'll just wait next year to go with one of them because I don't know what I'm getting in your organization. So I think it would streamline some things. Maybe it, it's going to cut down on some cost of scouts. Very much have to think, well, you know, Patrick, you did say that the numbers are going to be about the same as far as what they're going to spend on signing bonuses. There has to be some kind of catch. And yeah, there definitely would be one overall. You got to think it, it could have to do with reduction of, of scouts and it could create some kind of a, a draft combine that the league oversees and gives information out to all 30 teams. Again, cuts down on overall cost. But I like the concept. I just don't know that the Players Association really should be meddling in this international world. Got to look a little bit more, talk with more sources, as this is something that really just started bubbling up in the last couple of days. Really excited for some really solid guests coming up this week here on the podcast. If you're listening to this early Monday morning, tune in at one o'clock. And even if you're not around at one o'clock, guess what? Go back to YouTube and the DNVR sports channel. We've got an exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview with a member of the 2007 Colorado Rockies, Jason Hirsch. He's going to be live in studio 1 PM on the DNVR sports channel talking about that run to Rocktober. He's coaching now in the Denver area. 
Very exciting to get caught up with him. Had something to do with the All-Star Game Home Run Derby. Excited to get into the details of that exactly and for you to hear what he was doing and why he was an integral part of that down on the field early before the Futures game. I think he was throwing a little batting practice to those young guys. So we'll hear his thoughts on future Rockies prospects like Michael Tolia, Ryan Valade, and Willie McIver, who were all there at the Futures game. So it's going to be exciting, jam-packed with guests. Drew Goodman, of course, will be on as he is each and every week. And we're really excited. A couple other really exciting things that I want to tell you, but I just can't yet. I got to keep it under my hat until the contract's signed, until the ink is dry. Won't be able to get into all the details, but we'll be keeping our eye down in Scottsdale. I'll say that much at least as minor league spring training starts to ramp up. Membership to the DNVR.com is only 50 cents for your first month. And you get a free t-shirt if you decide to go with the annual membership. Do that at dnvrlocker.com. Thank you all for listening in. All of our great Twitter content can be found over at dnvr underscore Rockies. Big shout out to the social media team. They've been crushing it. Love all the videos that they have been posting. And I've been doing my part to chip in. It's definitely a team effort. So follow us at dnvr underscore Rockies. I'm at Patrick D. Lyons over there on Twitter. And this has been a lot of fun. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. But you know what they say, momentum is only as good as tomorrow's podcast. So I got to keep doing it, and I'll talk to you then. Our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group have taken great care of all our DNVR members over the years, especially those that made the permanent switch. Despite the lockout, there's a lot of Rockies fans out there with pearly white smiles these days, thanks to the Green Mountain Dental Group. Best part, when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam with them, you're going to receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group located just 15 minutes from downtown Denver. 